Today we'll be discussing the new Disney Plus television show, Ms. Marvel, and we'll be discussing how men and women's pain is treated differently. This is Doctor vs. Comedian. Dr. Asif Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. Ali Hassan. Every episode, I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic for medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Today, we'll discuss the new superhero show on Disney Plus, Ms. Marvel. And based on a listener's suggestion, we'll examine how doctors treat men and women's pain differently. So, Ali, I wanted to talk to you about this new show that is on Disney+. Plus. It's a new Marvel TV show. You're a big fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I like it. I just say big fan is, I've met big fans. I'm not a big fan. In fact, some of our listeners are big fans and know me. And if they heard me say that I'm a big fan, they'd be like, shut up. You don't even know in which order this movie came and this movie came. So, But I very much enjoy that entire world. Universe, if you will. There you go. Right away, for example, just to give you an example of why I wouldn't call myself a big fan, I thought Miss Marvel this entire time, until last night, I thought Miss Marvel was a movie. Oh, okay. I thought I was going to watch a movie, and then I put it on last night. I was like, I'll watch part of it last night, and I'll watch part of it, hopefully finish it you know, this morning before we get to the podcast. Turns out it's just one episode of a six-part series, and I was like, nice! So, big fan with a lot of holes in my knowledge here. Well, let's see if we can improve some of that knowledge. Oh, yeah. For you. So this is, we thought it'd be important to talk about because it's a new Marvel show. The character is kind of influenced by Captain Marvel, which was a character played by Brie Larson in the movie from a few years ago. But the character is Kamala Khan. It's weird in the show. They call her Kamala and Kamala, like her Friends call her Kamala, and her parents kind of call her Kamala uh, and her family. It's the old Asif, Asif, Ali, Ali thing. Exactly. And I I was like, oh, you know, they should be more consistent. But I'm like, no, actually, that is exactly how real life works for us. That is actual consistency. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll probably go back and forth with what what we call her. She is the first Muslim superhero in the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. And we should let our listeners know that you're going to pronounce Muslim in a weird way the entire time. Yeah, that's also happened before. And she's the first character of South Asian descent to headline their own MCU series. So there is actually another, I don't know if they came out as a Muslim, but in Moon Knight, which is a series, Marvel series that just finished, at the end, there is a female superhero who's Egyptian, they never quite specify whether she's Christian or not, I think, or Muslim, but I think she's Muslim. But anyway, it doesn't matter. But this is definitely the first one headlining their own series. So it's definitely a big deal. So we thought we should probably talk about it. Now, Ali, are you familiar with any of the background of the character from the comics, Ms. Marvel? Familiar in the sense that I know she appeared... What was it, 2014, 2013? Mm-hmm, there, mm-hmm. there was an appearance of this Muslim superhero, and 
the buzz around this film has been, you know, started then basically, right? So it's been a long time coming to, yeah. to, to get to this. So she first appeared in Captain Marvel as a cameo and then got her own series. So it's an interesting kind of story about how that came about. So the editors at Marvel wanted to do a, a Muslim superhero. And then there's one editor who's particularly involved, whose name is Sana Amanat. Sana Amanat, but anyway, sure, go on. You don't know her, and... You know Sanaz. You know, <laughs> you've met Sanaz before. That's how that's pronounced. And then Amanat is... Oh, my God. This is awful. All right. Apologies to Sana. Uh, so they decided to kind of develop this book, and they kind of recruited G. Willow Wilson. So G. Willow Wilson is an author and novelist. She was born in New Jersey and raised in New Jersey, and she's white. She's Caucasian. And she converted mm -hmm. to Islam in 2003. And mm -hmm. she'd already written for a few comics, this one character, Vixen from DC and, and Superman. And then she got an email from a, a senior VP at Marvel and said, you know, we'd like you to come and speak with us, with some of our editors about kind of creating this, this hero. And so she kind of met and, and they developed this character. It's interesting. They were debating where she should A, be from in the U.S. because they wanted like a uh, Muslim American. They mm -hmm. debated her being Somali, but then they decided uh, on Pakistani and they decided on New Jersey just because it's we've talked about this before with, with the television show Rami, which Dave Merhesh is on. Like New Jersey is a very big Muslim population. So also a big intolerant population. So that <laughs> works well as far as conflict goes. Well, it's interesting. So when they were developing this, they had some they thought they'd get some protests, both from anti-Muslim people, but also from people who are Muslim. Be like, how come you're portraying this this girl? She should be, uh, you know, they had their own kind of perceptions of how she should be portrayed. And I'm not sure how much backlash they got, but there was certainly a worry. Anticipation? Yeah, of course there would be. I mean, and, and but they lean into that, what do you want to call it, potential, I don't want to say explosive is too big a word, but they lean into that potential problematic thing when, you know, she's eyeing a BLT somewhat longingly, they say in this uh, article on The Ringer. So when you, you know, once you're doing that, people might be like, that's pork. There's no longing. There's no need for longing. It's pork. It's haram. It's done. You know, and of course, I say that very much being on on her side of the longing of but, course um, yeah. yeah yeah like your your new book is called is there bacon in heaven so a question i asked as a child and nobody nobody enjoyed hearing that question to be honest do you have a section in the book by the way about what happens when you go to heaven and like you know how and it is it, there's a buffet but it's like <laughs> yeah, the, the exactly. jews and, and muslims are like no no you can't go there. I know it's the same heaven, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. Heaven is segregated as well. It's the worst <laughs> heaven ever. Yeah, exactly. They developed this character. They wanted her outfit in the comics to be reminiscent of the shavar kameez that's traditionally worn in, in Pakistan and India, but she wasn't wearing a hijab. And when you think about the reason why, it's because the writers and the editors were like, the majority of Muslim women in North America do not wear hijab, so we want this character to represent the majority of Muslim women. So that was kind of the decision. And I don't know, I sent you this one story from Marvel.com, which kind of came out when this initial comic came out. Some interesting points that the writer, G. Willow Wilson, and, and, and the editor kind of bring up about how they were approaching Islam with this particular character. 
I really liked the way they did it. And I, we won't give out any spoilers of this first episode. The first episode has just come out and, and there's five more mm-hmm. coming. Is that right, Hassan? There are five more coming. Yeah, yeah. But it's, I don't know, for me anyway, I don't know how you found it. I found it very, very relatable. Right. And not just relatable because I'm a Muslim Pakistani, but relatable because it's on that level of like, you know, if you're you grew up Catholic, it'd be like, no, we can't do that. That's not what Catholics do, or we have to do this. Why? Because we're Catholic, or because we're Jewish. This is listen, as Jews, this is part of the deal, right? So, there's that level of relatability. Anybody who's ever been subject to any sort of laws that they aren't exactly on board with, that they never signed up for, and they have a little bit more of that questioning element to them, and and not the sort of I am so I do kind of approach. Something I've always admired, by the way, but uh, I find impossible. Well, this is it. So, you know, the author was like, Islam is an essential part of her identity, but also something she struggles with. And she's not a poster girl for the religion. You know, she wants to go to parties. She wants to stay out. She wants to feel normal. But she also wants to defend her family and their beliefs, you know, from people who may have pre-assumptions and things like that. So I think that's exactly speaking to what you were saying, and they're not trying to preach about it. You know, it's a struggle for yourself and how you identify, especially growing up in North America, which I think, you know, we can relate to. I mean, we're not 16-year-old girls, but I think we can relate to it. In my heart, though. There you go. So in the comic, her story is, which, by the way, has won several awards, including the Hugo Award for Best Graphic Story in 2015, 60 issues of the original series came out and then they kind of rebooted it. Uh, But anyway, what happens is she's a big, huge Avengers fan, first of all, and she wears superhero inspired clothing and loves the Avengers. And she sneaks out of her house to go to a party and she leaves the party early because she was fooled into trying alcohol and there's some casual racism there. And then basically she stumbles into this green mist called this Terrigan mist and it activated some latent superpowers in her essentially. This is in the comic book. In the comic. And so we'll talk about the differences. not in the show. Asif's not giving out anything that happened in the episode because that is not how that uh, that went. Yeah. And so she has a lot of uh, different superpowers, kind of like like similar to a bunch of different heroes combined. Like she can extend her limbs, like elongation, you know, like um, Mr. Fantastic. Fantastic, sure. Enlarge her body, shrink like Ant-Man. She has a healing factor like Wolverine. And she can even turn into inanimate objects, which is kind of used sometimes for comedy in in the cartoon, sorry, in the comic. So that's basically her. And she becomes a member of the Avengers. She's featured prominently in the the most recent Avengers video game. So she's like a kind of a staple of Marvel comics. So it was kind of a natural that she was going to get her own series movie or whatever. And the way it's working, just so everyone is clear and all is clear is this is going to be a, a series on Disney Plus. And then she's going to be in the next Captain Marvel movie with a large. That's what I was going to ask you about the plans for future Ms. Marvel. Can we almost certainly expect that she will now be part of the Avengers? This is the thing you'll see from a lot of the TV shows. They're kind of developing the next generation of Avengers. There's a young Hawkeye. There's a Wanda from WandaVision, Scarlet Witch mm-hmm. is her kids. And, and so they're trying to do that. So I think you that's what they're going to be aiming for is the next Avengers movie will maybe have these junior heroes kind of taking over. And in fact, there's a whole comic series called Young Avengers, which is was similar to like the Teen Titans and, and stuff like that. So I think that's what they're doing. Maybe it'll be a separate movie called Young Avengers. I'm not quite sure what's going to happen, but I think that's what they're leading 
Julianne. And of course, they're hoping to have these younger actors for a longer period of time, unlike Robert Downey Jr., who's done, and Chris Evans, who's done. And, and sure. Like you can already hear the hate from the nerds coming out, right? You remember, you've seen this when, like, Star Wars has, you know, a black lead and how much hate there is, or when there's Ghostbusters, but the, they're female. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's I'm a lot sure of, there's yeah. going to be an ageist uh, element as yeah. well. Oh, I think I think there's probably backlash because it's a brown person in the lead. The difference is, of course, it's not like sometimes they reverse cast, right? Like, they'll say, okay, we're going to cast, this character's been portrayed as white in the comics, we're going to portray them as a different race in a movie or a TV show. This character, of course, was Pakistani to begin with. So, right. uh, you know, it, maybe there'll be less backlash. This show, so we, we can segue to talking about the show. It's had 100% on Rotten Tomatoes for a few days. No debuted way. That's with 100%. Okay. Now it's at 95%. I checked it last night before we recorded this. So let's talk a bit about this show. It was created by Bisha K. Ali. She used to be a stand-up comedian. Do you know her? Yeah, well, as she herself says, struggling stand-up comedian, didn't get too much success as a stand-up comedian in the UK. She's from the UK. Uh, had some success, not like notoriety. But one of the great things that happened in her life was BAFTA, which is the British Acting Television Federation of Awards. I don't it's know. the you know, Oscars know. equivalent type thing. Yeah, but BAFTA has these sort of programs. So I think it's called Elevate. So she was part of the BAFTA Elevate program where they find young screenwriters or young producers and they sort of mentor them and train them. She was part of that program just in 2018. And, you know, if you read about her, basically subsisting on beans, living on a friend's couches, not really finding any success, got into this program and it really, there's the four weddings and a fun funeral reboot from the original British Yeah, there's a TV show. Movie, right? There's a TV show that is Mindy Kaling produced. So she got this opportunity to work with Mindy Kaling. Then next thing you know, it's like... She's working, I shouldn't say next thing you know, many, many things happened to allow that to take place, but she was on Loki. She contributed to some other show that is escaping me right now. And then, yeah, this is a huge, huge deal. And I would say it's one of the most exciting things about this show that Bisha is fairly new in this world. And Iman Vellani, who plays Ms. Marvel, is completely new, mm -hmm. never before acted. Mm -hmm. So it's reminiscent of uh, Mindy Kaling's last project, Never, Never have, have I, I ever. ever. Yeah. Also, the actor was sort of like an unknown, picked out of where? What does she have in common with Iman Vellani? Both from the Toronto. Three, both Outskirts from of Toronto. Toronto. Yeah. Outskirts, okay. Mississauga, I believe. Both of them. But yeah, like, I, I don't know. I don't know what's in the water over there in Mississauga. But either it's talent or it's desperation to get the hell out of Mississauga. I don't know. We'll <laughs> leave that out there. That's I have my issues with Mississauga. But I just find it so exciting that these young talents are getting a chance to, I don't even want to say prove themselves because they are sort of proven before they start this. They have to be. You're not taking a chance on something with this level of a, of a budget and this, this high a profile. They prove themselves and then they have this opportunity to shine. And it's amazing. It's very, very cool. Yeah. And both in the case of Never Have I Ever in this show, you think, okay, well, maybe, you know, 
I just think there was probably not a shortage of, of they didn't settle on anybody. How about that? They didn't settle yeah. on these, these actresses. They are very, very good. So that's why I described it after I watched it to my wife. I said, oh, this is Never Have I Ever meets Marvel, <laughs> except the, the character isn't quite as broken as the main character in Never Have I Ever. Right. And, and this is what it is. So we, we again, you have this kind of new actress playing Ms. Marvel. I was a bit skeptical. I, I saw some of the commercials for it and previews, and I was like, this doesn't look good. But I, don't, I was impressed. The directors are Adil El Arbi and Bilal Fala. These guys are this director team, Adil and Bilal is how they go by. And they directed Bad Boys for Life. So these guys are up and coming, big directors as well. And so we have uh, you have a Muslim writer, showrunner, Muslim directors. I think they're directing every episode. I'm not sure, but I think so. And then they have this cast. So basically, Iman Villain plays Ms. Marvel. In the first episode, you see how she acquires her powers. Again, we won't spoil things, but it's, it is different than the comic. And her powers are different, and how she gets them is different. And it's more tied a bit into her family and things like that. Mm. So we'll see how that evolves. Now, you're saying that they didn't settle, Asif, but, you know, word on the street is that they may have settled with the character of Kamala's father. Okay. They may have settled. So, I mean, <laughs> what Ali is getting I'm, I'm at is... I'm just telling you what the people are saying. Yeah, I'm just... <laughs> which people? The people no in Ali's people. house? No people. I'm actually not even saying it. I thought the father did a great job. There are obviously... Okay, I, so the, the okay. joke here is the father is played by Mohan Kapoor. I've never seen him on, on TV before, but he's a, he does a great job. There's a lot of tenderness with the comedy and the action and everything that goes on, and they really get this across. He does a great job. But the issue is he's a middle-aged Pakistani guy who's bald, who also has a podcast with the doctor. No, I'm just joking. But I'm just wondering, no, Ali, what happened with this? You should have been this character. That's what Ali was getting listen, at. He does a fantastic listen. job. And you haven't seen him, which is weird. You never saw Super Se Upper. You never <laughs> saw the movie Mana Ma Me Tere Mehman. You never saw that one? I didn't. I missed those. I missed you those. You missed Indu yeah. Sarkar and uh, Nam Shabana. Listen, he is a celebrated South Asian actor whose work has primarily until recent years, been in uh, in South Asia and in South Asian film and television. So he's not putting on an accent. That is his actual accent. You know, his actual age as well. He was born in 1965. He's not pretending to be anything. Mm -hmm. He just, I mean, he's, he's acting, of course, but... It's an authentic character. He does a great job. But even I, I was like, I'm happy I'm not watching this with my wife. That's the first thing she would have said. She's like, uh-oh, somebody's taking your lunch yeah, right out of your say, mouth. Well, two things. First of all, also, you have a 16-year-old daughter who's from Toronto. So, like, I mean, yes. it's, yeah, it's not a stretch. Well. Also, your agent, come on. Let's... Uh... Though I'm pretty sure getting a Marvel show is probably the hardest thing to to get these days. Right. Yeah. You're pulling the uh, Pakistani uncle thing right now, Asif. You know what you should do? You should get a show on Netflix. <laughs> oh, why didn't I think of that, uncle? I'll just go and do that right now. Gosh, thank God you were here at this yeah. dinner party to help guide my career. Yeah, you're, you're pulling that in a way. It's obviously, you know, these... The world of auditioning, and we talked about this in, in past episodes. We devoted some of our uh, episode to it. Yes, there are casting calls and there are casting, you know, process, but sometimes it's just like, oh, I know exactly who the father's going to be. Right. You know who Mohan is? We're going to get Mohan. And yeah. it's just that simple and that's the end of it. So, yeah, no, there was no audition for Ali Hassan. And, and also, let me just say this. 
Ali Hassan and the Hassan family are very happy and grateful for what has come our way. So there's no ill will. Oh, yeah. There's no, like there's no bitterness here. I'll take the bitterness on for you. So great cast. Matt Lintz plays her best friend. He's really good. And I really loved Zenobia Shroff. Yeah, and where have you seen Zenobia Shroff before? This is an interesting little, like, it's kind of an Easter egg in a way. Yeah, so I thought she was in Never Have I Ever, but she's not. I thought she was one no. of the aunties in it. She was in, I think that's where I saw her before, is in The Big Sick. She's Kumail Nanjiani's mother in The Big yeah. Sick. Kumail Nanjiani, of course, also a member of the Marvel Cinematic Marvel Universe. Marvel Cinematic Universe, the first Muslim Pakistani to actually be in there, not a lead like yes. Iman's character here. And, like and I had to explain this to Ali the other day when we were talking about this show. She's like, well, what about Kamil? You're, you're leaving him out. I said, well, he played an alien, uh, yes. right? Who he did not play yes. and yeah, who yeah. comes to Earth. I was going to say to Canada, but to Earth. And because his physical appearance is... Like a South Asian, he goes to India, becomes a Bollywood star, and then has to be lured out of that. That's his kind of story arc. But he's not, uh, you know, a lead, as you said, and he's not a Muslim because he's uh, alien. So he doesn't really have religion in that respect. Anyway, so Zenobia Shroff, getting back to her, she is just great in this as a mother. Again, these types of there's a lot of sensitivity to these portrayals and the writing in that they're not trying to make the parents, the villains and the, oh, Sharia law at home and stuff like that. And in fact, you really get a sense of their concern for Kamala and why they're concerned about, about you know, how she's doing at school and things like that. It's a, just a very natural, normal kind of conflict. And they're not portrayed to be the villains in, in the piece. I think that's really well done. Anyway, I guess you're kind of getting, hearing in between the lines, my thoughts on this. So what do you think of this? Yeah, look, it always happens to me. You know, it, I'm far too critical in the first part. You know, in this case, it was like, I would say five to 10 minutes. I was like, oh man, I don't like this dynamic between the lead and her best friend. It feels put on, it feels artificial. But you know what that, it's all that is, and I fall for it every time. And, and me of all people, I should know better. It's us getting used to their voice and their characters. In that first 10 minutes, what you're doing as a viewer is you're imposing your own thing about like, oh, she should have said this. Oh, they, that would have been good. But why? Who are you? You are the viewer. It takes about 10 minutes to finally sit back and be like, oh, this is who these people are. They have now introduced themselves. This is what this dynamic is. And I'm now comfortable. And that's exactly what happened. A quarter of the way into the first episode, the first thing you want to do as a host is you come on and nobody's ever heard your voice before. So you don't come on with a joke. Nobody understands your perspective. Nobody understands. You come on and say, how are you guys doing? Hey, we have a great show. This is who's on the show. Welcome. They're just hearing your voice for the first time. So, and then work into, you know, so I feel like it's the same thing when I'm, we are just hearing someone's voice for the first time. I mean, she's never acted in any, I don't even know, I should have no preconceived notions at all, but you just inevitably do. Within 10, 15 minutes, I started enjoying this show and the enjoyment did not stop till the end of the first episode. And I'm, I'm excited to, in fact, I'll probably rewatch it. I had to watch it really late, but 11.30, 11.45, I started it last night. Did I need to have three rum and Cokes while I watched it? Probably not. That's why my voice is a little hoarse. 
and my head's a little hurt, but I liked it all. I'll watch it again with whichever of my kids are on board and we'll watch the whole thing and I'm looking forward to it. How about you? Yeah, I really liked it. Again, I wasn't too sure at the beginning. Again, I, I, the previews I saw, I wasn't too sure about the special effects and the acting. But within, as you said, a few minutes, it kind of won me over. I like the look of the show. They have a lot of stuff when she's daydreaming or thinking. They have little animations that pop up that could be annoying. It's totally not. It is really well done. I Like I said, I love the interaction with her family. I think it's much more subtle and nuanced than a lot of writers would have done. And I would say, like, the only criticism in quotation marks is not a lot happens in this episode. It's a lot of table setting. There's very little action. There's, like, a minor action piece at the end. But it's really the her origin and, and, and what happens. And then I'm sure the subsequent episodes will introduce more action, more characters, perhaps some villains and things like that. And her connections to Cap- Captain Marvel and things like that. So, yeah, I think it's a win for Marvel. It's It's so far, I'm trying to think all the marvel shows it's definitely one of the better ones they've all been pretty good this is one of the best first episodes i've seen in terms of the characterization and listen i know we talk about this a lot on the show about representation but it's important right like i try and i sat down my girls and i said let's watch this together as a family because it's not only a female as a lead character it's actually a teenager and it's actually uh, someone of south asian origin and someone who's muslim as well and so i think all those things are important for them to be able to see and so I suggest if you like Marvel, check it out. Even if you don't like Marvel, I think this is a, a great show to watch again if you have kids who are teens or preteens. Again, minimal so far, minimal violence, minimal objectionable, you know, language or actions or things. I mean, she sneaks out of the house. That's like the worst thing that happens. So it's yeah, so I think it, I think it's a really fun show. I suggest people check it out if it sounds interesting. I agree. And I'm gonna make another suggestion. If you have not watched the trailer, do not. Watch that first episode and then watch the trailer. Because I really enjoyed the trailer, but I hadn't watched it prior to watching the show. I, that's why I didn't know it was a show. I thought it was a movie. Anyway, that's my own uh, foolishness. But I think save the trailer. Don't watch it right away. Don't give away anything to yourself. You watch the show cold. I find it so much more interesting, right? Just do away with those expectations or whatever that sometimes come from a trailer, especially because the trailer shows things in future episodes. And you might think that, oh, that stuff is going to happen in this first episode. You might be waiting for something. So if you haven't watched the trailer, episode first, then the trailer Right after or eventually, maybe not even right after, but I, I thought the trailer was good. And you don't need to, if you've watched no Marvel movies, I think you still get a lot out of this. Like they kind of do a bit brief recap of where this takes place at the beginning, but really you don't need to have watched any, at least to watch this episode. Yeah. I mean, you kind of got to take a step back, but there is a poster for this show and I'm just going to, I don't know if I can share screen with you. Can I share screen with you? I could probably share screen and then we can, oh no, you disabled screen sharing, but this oh, poster anyway, a you're a jerk. And I mean, it's pretty insane. Direct center is this young girl, person of color, right? Her brother is a bearded fellow, more interested in Islam. You see her parents, you know, they're people who I recognize. Mother is in a shavar kameez. Her friend wears a hijab. Oh, yeah. sort I of a this, loose, I see this poster, but, yeah. uh, loose. In the background, there's a bit of a Bollywood feel. Welcome to New Jersey, but you've got like this 70s Bollywood pop art kind of vibe around the colors of it. The women up top, you know, 
a variety of like sort of judging looks from these, you know, what do you call these? They're not emojis, but they're like drawings of women painted. I don't know. Like, this is crazy to me that this is Marvel. And it's, it's very, very exciting. All right, so we are talking now about women and pain. And you might think there's no connection between talking about sort of young, empowered 16-year-old and then women and pain. You would be wrong to think that. There is a very, very deep connection that we're going to get to. And Asif and I often encourage people to write in with your own thoughts and your feedback and suggestions for shows. So this part of this episode is very much from somebody who wrote in. It's Sarah. Thank you, Sarah, from Gatineau, Quebec. Sarah wrote in that you've covered bias in medicine, but perhaps not from a woman's perspective. And I would like to hear Dr. Doja's take on pain management during procedures for people with female anatomy. There are so many stories of women getting biopsies with no pain management, but men get like 15 pills for a five-minute vasectomy. Now, I've had a vasectomy. There were no pills. There might have been back in the day, but there was a pill offered for if in case you have any anxiety of any kind, which I found kind of hilarious in itself. Like, I should be able to deal with this. But anyway, Sarah goes on to say, I've had two C-sections and gotten a ton less meds than my husband when he had the tiniest cut down there. There seems to be this bias in the medical field that women are tough or the toughest or should just shut up and take it. I feel quite strongly about this and that women need to stop being cute about our stuff, to reference Michelle Wolf. And most importantly, women should be advocating for ourselves. Sarah, we really appreciate this. And we're going to talk about what an eye-opener it was for both of us as well. So, Asif, let's get started on this. You know, you have talked about cognitive bias. This feels like it's connected to that. But also, it's interesting because you discovered something you really weren't familiar with. And you imparted with me what you discovered, right? Yeah. So, you know, Sarah's totally right. This is an example of bias in medicine, this this unconscious bias that we have. And it's unconscious bias that I have because she sent this email and I was like, no, I'm not really sure what you're talking about. I'm not sure there's a lot of literature out there on that. You know, I said, I was said to her, I responded to her. I said, maybe we need to get an expert who knows a bit more about this because I don't really know about it. And then just with a cursory search of the medical literature, a ton of stuff dating back 20 plus years about this bias against women with regards to pain. It's called the gender gap in pain management. And I'm like, this is an example, not of white privilege, but of male privilege, because I never once considered this. And so, you know, she was right. I mean, she didn't call me out specifically, but I think it was a very, very valid point that I would not have considered until this email. Okay. So why don't you talk about some of the stuff that you yeah. discovered or yeah. came across? So a couple of things, and I'm just going to hit some bullet points of some various studies and things like that, that kind of prove that this point is very valid. So first of all, women in pain are much more likely to receive prescriptions for sedatives, antidepressants, anti-anxiety medication than actual pain medication that takes away compared to men. So that's one thing. And so it's interesting. You got an anti-anxiety medication for the... the I mean, I didn't take it, but it was was offered to me. If you're going to drive home and you're nervous, this was actually, this wasn't for after. Yeah, it was for before, right? If you're a little bit nervous about the procedure. And the vasectomy, by the way, canceled 
very often. So a lot of these men's clinics have a very high, like $300 fee that you have to pay if you don't show up. Oh, wow. And that is built in to be like, hey, don't chicken out. So like, just in case any man is listening, thinking, you know, reflecting on how tough we are, don't go down that path. I don't think the literature supports it. Yeah, I do want to get into that in a second. But a couple other examples. So this is a pretty famous study. I'll link to all of these. A study looking at men and women who had coronary bypass surgery. So we're talking heart surgery. were only half as likely to be prescribed painkillers as compared to men who had undergone the exact same procedure. Another example, women wait an average of 65 minutes before receiving an analgesic medication for pain for acute abdominal pain in the emergency room in the United States. Men wait 49 minutes on average. So men get treated faster to help relieve their pain. If you look at just chronic pain, people who have chronic pain, 70% of the people impacts are women. So if you look at all patients with chronic pain, definitely majority women, but 80% of pain studies are conducting on human men or male mice. Like they don't even consider conducting them on female mice. They just use male mice. Again, we're seeing this bias come out. There's one Canadian study which found the odds of a surgeon recommending knee replacement for osteoarthritis, so arthritis of your knee, were 22 times higher for a male patient than to a female patient. And what they did was they use standardized patients. So standardized patients are actors who we hire to portray the symptoms. And so in this one, they were able to control for what they would say and how they would describe their pain because they gave the exact same script to both actors, one male, one female. And then they saw how often in this standardized setting, they would recommend this knee replacement surgery and 22 times higher for the male standardized patient than the female. So that was published in the Canadian Medical Association Journal. So if you can believe it, this is such a crazy study. They looked at this gender bias in kids. Okay, so they had a video of a little five-year-old getting blood drawn from the finger, and they would have an expression of pain on their face. They really did it. They really took blood from this from this five-year-old. And the child kind of looks a bit like they're young. So, you know, it could be male, it could be female. They were dressed in kind of gender-neutral clothing. And they showed this video to observers. And in some of the observers, they said that the patient was named Samuel. And for the other observers, they said the child was named Samantha. And for the observers who the child was named Samuel, they rated the pain higher than those for whom the same child was named Samantha. They rated the pain higher, meaning that observers thought the female was in more pain. No, other way around. No, the other way around. Okay, yeah, that makes sense to support what you're talking about right now. Right. They said the boy is clearly in more pain. And that's the first step, right? If the boy's in more pain, then the boy is in need of more, of more medication. medication. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, but this was the same child. The only thing right. they changed was the name and then by implication, the gender. So, in fact, some studies have said that they found that women actually experience pain more intensely than men. And there's some basic science studies and some clinical studies that kind of support that. Here's another example. At Stanford, they looked at 11,000 patients who had a pain score. We've talked about pain scores before on our opioid episode, where basically you can rate pain on a scale of one to 10. I don't know if a doctor has ever done this for you, Ali. Like, I'll be like, okay, Ali, read your pain on a scale of one to 10. Zero is no pain. 10 is the worst pain you've ever had. And 
in this study of these 11,000 patients, for almost every diagnosis, women reported higher average pain scores than men, usually 20% higher. And it's interesting. There's a commentary on this where they're like, if the stereotype is to think that women are more expressive than men, then maybe if women are overly expressive, then you'll discount their pain behaviors, right? Like why, if they have higher pain scores, why are they, is their pain treated less? Maybe people think they're exaggerating or something like that. But the flip side of that is that men are sometimes perceived to be stoic, right? You were kind of getting at this before. And so if the man makes an intense facial pain, like, oh, it must be real, in quotation marks, pain, he must be dying, he must be so bad. But this doesn't obviously make any sense, but that's how you can kind of rationalize this gender gap that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you about another really interesting study. So they basically, again, use video clips of real patients undergoing painful examinations. And then they talked about, you know, how the patients rated their pain and things like that. And then they had male and female lay participants, so not physicians, watch the videos and estimate the pain that they thought the person was having, and also rate how much they're expressing their pain, how much their facial features and things like that. And you said lay participants, right? Not lady participants. Lay participants, so not physicians. Right. L A Y. Okay. L-A-Y. It keeps it sounds like you keep saying lady participants. Oh, like, Why sorry. Sorry. It that no, way? Lay, lay. Yeah, I get it. Okay. Yeah, makes sense. And compared with the patient's own ratings of the pain, observers of both genders right? Didn't matter if you were male or female, if you're an observer, they underestimated the women's pain and overestimated the men's pain. And men and women showed the exact same amount of pain in their facial expression. There was no real difference. You know, when the authors reviewed all the videos, they didn't think that there was a quantitative or qualitative difference, but women were still thought to be in less pain, even though they had the same facial expressions. So again, even with lay people, they found this bias. And so, of course, they did what's called a systematic review. We've talked about these before, where you look at all the literature. So there's a really good systematic review. I'll link to it. But basically, you know, they found what we've talked about already. Men in all these studies are perceived as being stoic, tolerating pain, well, denying pain. Oh, you know, if they're in pain, it must be really bad. Women were depicted as more sensitive to pain, more willing to report pain than men. And kind of pointed out that maybe it's more socially acceptable for women then for men to talk about pain, some healthcare professionals gave different messages to men and women. Women were like, oh, you know, be careful with pain and where it's more tolerated with men. It's like, well, you know, you have a hard job, you work a physical job, yeah, it just goes with heavy work, you know. The scary part is women were perceived as being hysterical, emotional, complaining, not wanting to get better. And of course, the concerns that they're fabricating the pain, right? And then when they looked at medication, it's the same thing we talked about before. Again, you have more pain medications being prescribed to men as opposed to women. Women received less effective pain relief. And again, were prescribed more antidepressants and get more mental health referrals when they come up with a complaint of pain as opposed to men. So, I mean, this is it, Ali. All this stuff that was a, a concern from Sarah is born out of the literature. Again, this, like I said, this goes back at least 20 years. Yeah. And you know what? It's interesting. She mentioned Michelle Wolf. Michelle Wolf is a fantastic comedian. One of the best things she ever did was the White House Correspondents Dinner. If you don't know Michelle Wolf, look that up and then look up her comedy 
Terrific. She has a joke about if, you know, if men had periods, they would announce it loudly and proudly, right? I have to go to the bathroom and change my tampon. Like it would be a (laughs) source of pride. And that's rooted in something Gloria Steinem, feminist icon, many years ago said something to that effect. She was basically saying, and I'm going to look it up right here so that I have exactly Gloria Steinem's quote. This was 40 plus years ago that Gloria Steinem wrote about this in an essay, that she was saying, if men had periods, they would not be remotely embarrassing. In fact, men would be boasting. They would brag about how long and how much, and they would mark the onset of menses that longed for proof of manhood with religious ritual and stag parties. And tampons would be free, although some men would still pay for the prestige of commercial brands like John Wayne tampons or Muhammad Ali's rope-a-dope pads. I mean, men have been mocked for years about this and have kind of ignored it. But it's, you know, like this is coming from a real place. This is a source of huge embarrassment for men. And if you're not embarrassed about it, you absolutely should be. And more and more, this is what I'm starting to hear more and more. And this is only over the last six, seven years. And and it's probably less for most people. I'm saying it from a comedic point of view. I'm hearing many more women talking about, you know, how you act like women are so delicate and so fragile. Who's giving birth? Who's having their period every month, right? Who's like, as far as physical struggle, women go through that proving exactly how tough they are on a regular basis and men have no concept. And, And recently, even like mental toughness, social media has exposed how weak men are compared to like how much hate women get on a regular basis. So anyway, I don't mean to be overly rah-rah here, but it's such a great suggestion from Sarah for us to look into this. And the bottom line is, as she said, women need to advocate for themselves. And the reason I'm bringing all this up is to tie it back in to Ms. Marvel. It is connected to a 16-year-old girl because as you see, it's connected to women from the time they are quite literally born. Right from a young age, as you noted, there are instances where women's pain is not taken seriously and young girls' pain is not taken seriously. So anyway, I mean, what are the solutions here? I always usually ask you what the solutions are. What do we what do you do? I mean, it's tough. We could talk about at a bigger level in a second, but at an individual level, if you're a patient, there's actually a good article talking about this gender and pain gap in good housekeeping of all places. And they talked about some practical things you can do when you go to the doctor's office. So they said, come with an advocate is one. There's five things. So the first one is come with an advocate. So bring someone with appointments so they can ask the right questions. It's not like you're bringing like a lawyer or anything like that, but to help advocate you, maybe speak to some of the issues you may be having with pain from an objective third party. Also to write things down because you may be missing some things when you go to an appointment like this. And It's interesting. They say, get right to the point. I'll read you what they say. Women tend to explain their pain through an emotional narrative about how it affects their lives, whereas men are more likely to say, my arm hurts here. Studies show that the former approach is perceived as more untrustworthy. So linking it to how difficult it is in your life and, you know, emotional stuff is considered untrustworthy. I mean, I know that's true. I mean, studies do show that. I'm not sure if that means you shouldn't tie in how you're feeling and your emotions about it, but it is listed as some advice in this article. It says, be specific about your pain experience. And that is true. When we ask people about their pain, we really want to know that one to 10 rating or zero to 10 rating, but we also want to know 
tells the exact location. I usually say point with one finger where it hurts. It doesn't have to be the only spot, but it could radiate from there, but one finger. And what's the pain like? The quality of the pain helps us. Sharp, burning, pressure, squeezing, throbbing. Like what exactly is the pain? And that's, that's quite helpful. The fourth thing is explain what you've done to manage your pain. Very important because what you don't want to do is you don't want to show up and then they just prescribe you Tylenol and Advil, right? If you've tried that, say, I've tried that this often at this dose and make sure you have it all written out. So you can say, no, I've tried those things. My family doctor prescribed this. Now I'm seeing you because you're a specialist. And then, you know, so make sure you're aware of that and the medicines you've been prescribed and the doses. And then The fifth one is describe how the pain affects your daily life, which is kind of weird because they're like, you know, don't talk about it through an emotional lens about how it affects your life. But now they're saying in their fifth point to describe how it affects your life. But I think that's important, right? Because if you have pain, some people have pain, but they're able to do their job, you know, do their extracurricular kind of activities, leisure activities, you know, take care of their family and go out with their friends and things like that. Then it's like, well, you know, maybe it's not that impactful. Maybe you don't need to treat it. But if it disrupts your sleep, forces you to take days off work, maybe you're gaining weight because you're not moving around as much, it helps people to understand what's going on with you. So I think specific about how it may affect your life would be important. Okay. So all that is from the patient's perspective. What about for physicians? What can they do differently? So I think the key is like a lot of the bias we talked about before in other episodes is just more awareness. Like I wasn't aware of this. And I think it's up to us as physicians to make people more aware. And when you're aware to point this out. So for example, when I'm working with my trainees now, my medical students, the residents, I'm going to point this out, this gender gap that we're seeing. And the more we can teach people to be aware of it, and just you need to check yourself, just like with unconscious bias with race, you need to check yourself and say, is there something unconscious going on here in terms of me making a judgment about this woman compared to if they were a man in terms of my treatment of their pain? So I think just more and more awareness is the key. Okay, that is our show, but I have to hammer home this point. Sarah from Gatineau, you have made a shift in the way Dr. Asif Doja will approach medicine and practice it and teach it. Thank you so much. What a great contribution to the show. When we ask for your feedback or ideas, no pressure, okay? You don't have to be Sarah. <laughs> Sarah came in hot with something particularly special. You don't have to. Sarah, you may have raised the bar too high, but everybody else who's listening, we always appreciate any feedback we get about Miss Marvel. If you've seen it, if you want to see it, if you're reluctant to see it, whatever the case might be, feel free to share your thoughts about that. And any you know instances or experiences you've had with pain, either as a woman or a man knowing that you got treated differently from a woman. We'd love to hear that as well. And that is it. Where can people reach out to us? Yeah, drvcomedian at gmail.com. Send us an email just like Sarah did. Also Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, drvcomedian. And remember that although I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. Medical issues we talk about are for your interest and information only, and they're not medical advice. Please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice. Thanks for listening. Bye.